channel 16. There we go. All right, there we go. Awesome. All right, so if you would, make your way back to a chair. We're about to get started here. I um, always love just to see people loving each other, old faces, new faces, masked faces, unmasked faces. It's always good. I'm going to be down here on the floor just for a second because I want to just light a candle. This is something that uh, there's no magic in this. Um, nothing really spooky is happening here. This is actually kind of a Ignatian tradition. Uh, Ignatius means flame, if you didn't know. But uh, Ignatius of Loyola, he, he, he encouraged his Jesuit um, disciples to, uh, to, to light a candle to remind us of God's everlasting presence. And especially in times of darkness or in times of hope or in times of despair, confusion, uh, I found that this is something that can be kind of helpful and help focus our prayers. Uh, we're going to be speaking into the darkness a little bit today. And so I just wanted to do something a little bit, I guess, uh, unusual for us to just kind of mark um, what's happening and just remem- help remind us that even when things are dark, even when things are confusing, that God's presence is real and that God's presence is here. And so I want to kind of just pray and then, um, and then get into things here. Uh, we're going to read the names of a couple of incidents. And, you know, actually, before I, before I get started with that, I, I've got to kind of do a preamble before we pray and stuff. So, uh, you know, I was listening to a guy I, I really respect, a dude named uh, Steve Cuss, who um, has written a book called Managing Leadership Anxiety. It's probably one of the best books uh, that leadership kind of books, if you want to talk like high-level abstract ideas that I've ever read, uh, he also has a podcast called Managing Leadership Anxiety and, and stuff. And, and Steve just does a really good job of helping people kind of become aware of uh, what's going on inside and what's going on around and what's going on inside the other people around us and just kind of becoming aware of how those feelings shape our reason and shape our influence and our leadership uh, as followers of Jesus and as people who are hopefully leading others into God's presence. Uh, but Steve was telling a story, and he said that, uh, that you know years ago, and I think I think it was in 2012, either 2012 or 2014, um, the there was a there was a shooting, and uh, a young black person was killed, and um, and so S- Steve's in the Denver area, and so the the mayor of Denver was really proactive and just said, hey, we need to get faith leaders together, we need to get our city together because uh, this is this is something that's shaping our nation, and we're not heading in a good direction, and this anxiety is going to tear our city apart. We don't talk about it if we don't do something. And so we got faith leaders together, and Steve was at this uh, event with all kinds of faith leaders, but he, he, he happened to befriend and, and ask a, a, a pastor of a predominantly black congregation and a historically black congregation uh, in, in that city. He said, hey, you know, I just want to say, look, I, I understand that I'm a white person, uh, that, that uh, this isn't my thing so much, but like I want to do something. What can I do to help? And the, and the pastor said to him, he said, if you could just acknowledge black death from the pulpit, that's enough, and that will keep you busy. And then what Steve did, he said, okay, you know, so every time there's some kind of a, a police shooting or a killing or something like this is in the news and it's, and it's frenetic, uh, we'll, just, we'll just acknowledge it. We'll just acknowledge that this tragedy has happened. And we, so he started to do that. And then... Uh, then in 2015-2016, uh, even though they had been doing this for years, so it's been a couple of years, 2015-2016, uh, the atmosphere changed, right? The system in our country changed a little bit. 
uh, because of what was going on. And, and suddenly, this practice that they had been engaging in for years, uh, people said, why are, you, why are you being so political? Why are you... Uh, why are you taking sides? This is wrong. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this thing and acknowledging, you know, why are you being so, you know, you're, 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 you're excluding conservatives. You're doing it. And he actually hadn't changed his behavior. He'd actually been on a consistent uh, course of behavior for years, but the atmosphere around him had changed. And so people's perception of his action had changed. And I'm aware that uh, it's never the case that I'm not speaking into an environment. I'm never not speaking into a, um, a situation that is highly politicized in our country. Uh, over the last several years, things have just gone really crazy politicized. And so I just want to be real careful today because I want to fight the good fight. Um, I'm not trying to take sides politically in anything that I say. I'm not here to affirm or to attack your political tribe. Uh, and I really mean both of those things. I'm not here to, to single anybody out or to single out anyone in our city, anyone who might listen to this online. Um, I'm not here to, to pick on you. Uh, I'm also not here to make you feel good about your political identity. Uh, in fact, the thing I most want is for you to feel uncomfortable with your political identity and to abandon it uh, in favor and in preference and in primary allegiance to your allegiance to Christ. Because whatever word you put before Christian, I'm a liberal Christian, I'm a conservative Christian, uh, that becomes the controlling thing. And I don't want that for you. I want you to be Christ-centered and nothing else. And so I just want to say, in case you read anything into my actions or what I'm trying to say today, I'm not trying to pick one side or the other, and I reject that binary. Jesus is not a liberal Democrat. Jesus is not a conservative Republican. Jesus is not even American. As my mentor and former pastor of this church, Tim Stagner, of 17 years, used to say, But I want to start today by recognizing two events that have happened. There was a shooting in Buffalo. It was racially motivated. Uh, And several people were gunned down in a supermarket. And so I want to take a moment and read those names. Roberta Drury. Margus Morrison. Andre McNeil. Aaron Salter. Geraldine Talley, Celestine Challey, Cheney, sorry, Hayward Patterson, Catherine Massey, Pearl Young, and Ruth Whitfield. All of these people and the, and the other three people that were severely injured by this mass shooting that took place that was racially motivated, uh, all these people were people who were made in the image of God. So was the very lost person who committed this heinous crime. Earlier this week, there was another mass shooting in Texas where several students 
most of them about nine or ten years old, I have a ten-year-old son, uh, were murdered in cold blood by a person who was totally lost. Here are their names. Alexandria Rubio, Alethea Ramirez, Amiri Garza, Annabelle Guadalupe, Rodriguez, Alejana Torres, Aliana or Ellie Garcia, Jackie Cazares, Jaila Nicole Siguerlo, Jace Luis Venanos, Xavier Lopez, Jose Flores, Leila Salazar, McKenna Lee Elrod, Maite Rodriguez, Miranda Mathis, Nevea Bravo, Rogelio Torres, Tess Marie Mata, and Uzziah Garcia. There were also two teachers that were killed, Eva Mireles and Irma Garcia. Let's take a moment to pray. God, we live in an environment that is insane. We live in a world that is lost and in a country with really messed up priorities. And it is easy to see how politics and tribalism are really costing real lives. And God, we don't want to be people who don't take action, who just sit at the sidelines and throw our hands up in the air and say, oh, well, what can be done? But I just don't believe that prayers are useless. And so, Lord, we just come to you today and we ask that you would help lament do its work in us. And we just recognize that the correct and sane response to these tragedies is to be sad and to mourn and to weep, to be disturbed and maybe even angry that these injustices and that these things keep happening And to turn to you as a merciful God who can and does intervene in history. And Lord, we ask you to be at work. We ask you to be at work at the highest levels of government and at the local level. God, we ask you to change our hearts and minds to help us fight the things that you want us to fight with the weapons that you want us to use. To be mindful and full participants in your kingdom work. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Father. And we ask for these things in Jesus' name.
I want to clarify something that I think is pretty important for believers in Jesus to have their heads on straight about these days. I want to read a passage that has often been co-opted and misused. And I've preached it a few times, and if I were to hear myself from 10 or 15 years ago, I would probably cringe. But I want to read this passage, and I want to be really clear about what this means and what this does not mean, because we have to get this right as believers in Jesus. Here's what Paul says from a jail cell to the church in Ephesus. He says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth tucked around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I think the first thing that God wants us to recognize this morning in the context that we live in, in the real world, is that we should not be surprised when we find that the world is a dark place. Oh, hold on. Did I finish? I didn't finish. Pray for me also whenever I speak, that the words may be given me... uh, that, That. Pray for me also that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Lord, let it be so for me as well. Don't be surprised when we find that the world is a dark place. Our team is not the only team on the field. We live in a world that is fallen and that is broken and that is really, really screwed up. That's the real reality that we exist in. And I think that sometimes, because of our privilege, because of our wealth, because of lots of, lots of things that we experience in America— Uh, sometimes we can think that maybe things are supposed to be good. There is a sense that we have that the normal experience of life is happy-go-lucky, that it's that it's painless, that it's without struggle, that it's uh, it should be easy, it should be should be without uh, any death, uh, should be without any pain. And uh, while I do believe that there is there's some truth in those statements, there's some truth in the hope. Of a good world, and all the beauty of the world isn't destroyed. 
All the beauty and goodness of God's good creation has not been removed. There's a common grace, there's a a common goodness to life, and God is still at work in the world. His Spirit still hovers over the waters. His Spirit is still present among us, especially in and through the power of Christ and his resurrection and his defeat of the demonic powers. God is still at work. There's still good in the world, but that said, uh, we are in a war zone. We exist in a place of torment and destruction. And to pretend that the devil doesn't exist or that there aren't real powers of spiritual darkness at work in our personal and corporate and societal lives is to not live in reality. And so we should not be surprised by the darkness of the world. It is something that we should be ready for. We should be ready for it like we're preparing for a job interview, like we're preparing to face something that is difficult or intimidating, like we're going into battle, like we're getting ready to have a difficult conversation or a, or a difficult confrontation. That's the world that we live in. And I don't want to be super, super negative and super fighty. Like, I actually think that's actually not helpful in the fight. I think the good fight is is a fight in which we embrace joy and in which we embrace hope, in which we irrationally and with great faith believe, even when we have lots of good reasons not to, that God is at work and among us and within us and able to work through us to bless our neighbors and our friends, especially those with whom we are tempted to view as enemies. That I believe all that, but it would be a mistake to think that this is going to be without conflict or that there isn't a real war that is actually going on. The world is dark. And I know that believing in devils isn't really popular anymore. Even among Christians, it's really not very cool. Oh, really? You believe in the devil in 2022? How quaint. You know, somebody wants to kind of pat me on the head and say, oh, aren't you cute? But I am not, I am not greater than my master. I am not smarter than Jesus. If you want to try to be smarter than Jesus, good luck. I'm going to listen to my Lord. Here's what Jesus said in a very tense and difficult moment. This is Jesus getting arrested, according to Luke 22. It says, while he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Just kind of calling out Judas' total hypocrisy. When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. We find out from other, uh, from other tellings of this story that the, that the person who did that was Peter uh, and that the guy whose ear got chopped off was a guy named Malchus. Those, those name drops are important because in the early Christian community, the idea is that if you wanted to know, did this story really happen, you could go talk to Peter or you could go talk to Malchus. All right? But Jesus answered, no more of this! And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, 
and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. There's a real enemy. It's a dark world. We shouldn't be surprised when things go badly. This shouldn't catch us off guard. And it probably will, right? It probably will. We'll probably still be shocked. We'll probably still be dismayed. We'll probably still be horrified when tragedies happen. And and an emotional response is fine. But orienting ourselves in reality is important in order to be able to keep our heads in the midst of the battle. Peter couldn't do it. Peter didn't keep his head. He couldn't keep reality straight. He still didn't understand what Jesus was about, even though Jesus had been saying, turn the other cheek. If someone makes you go a mile, go too. If someone slaps you across the face, nonviolently confront them with their hypocrisy and turn the other cheek to them. Jesus says, if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. The central climax of our faith, the thing that we orient around and remember Jesus for doing is not leading an army, but being willing to die unjustly, unfairly, through, from a corrupt government and from a corrupt religious structure rather than take up arms. That's who Jesus is. Now, I want to be clear here. Look, if you're, if you're a gun owner, all right, you're welcome in this church, okay? You're welcome to be a part of this community. You're welcome to follow Jesus. I think that Christians can take fencing lessons. I think Christians can do martial arts. I think they can do kung fu. I think Christians can shoot bows and arrows. I think they can practice archery. And I think that Christians can own guns. I think that that is all allowed. You're free in Christ to participate in any or all of those sporting kinds of things, all right? There may even be certain situations where in order to defend the innocent, violence might be something that is necessary. I'm really glad that the United States won in World War II. Okay? There, there are times and there are places for the use of force. I think that that might be allowed and that might be okay at certain times. But get this. The heart of Jesus' ministry and his kingdom is non-violent. And guns do nothing against the principalities and powers of this present evil age. Demons are bulletproof. And so no amount of arming ourselves and no amount of manipulation of the governments that hold the guns and the swords and getting them to have the laws the way that we want them will bring about the kingdom of God. That's not how this kingdom works. It does not work through violence. It is not a physical war. And Jesus' weapons are not physical. That is not what we are doing here as believers and followers and disciples of Jesus. Okay? This is not a struggle against flesh and blood. And so, if we see people twisting the Bible or advertising, you know, pro-gun, pro-God, pro-life, I'm sorry, you can pick, like, maybe one or two of those things. These are incompatible 
That doesn't make any sense. We have to remember that we don't struggle against flesh and blood. We struggle against powers and principalities in the heavenly realms and the ways that those express themselves in the worldly lost governments of our time. Does that mean you shouldn't vote? Of course not. Go vote. Go vote your conscience. Vote for the lesser of two evils. Does that mean you shouldn't contact your representatives and exploit all the rights and and, uh, responsibilities you have in a democracy? Absolutely. Participate in the political process. I think it would be, you know, let me just, let me just sit down here. Let me just say, I think it would be really great since I have to register to drive a car because people know that if I'm going to get behind the wheel of a motor vehicle, uh, that if I don't know what I'm doing, I might, I could maybe accidentally kill somebody in that motor vehicle, right? Like I have to take vision tests. I have to, I have to do all kinds of inspections. I have to go and fill out all kinds of paperwork, and it's a huge pain. I have to stand in line at the DMV and, 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 and experience a kind of like, you know, uh, just sort of like bureaucratic empire, right? Like you, I know my place in society when I'm waiting in line at the, DM, at the DMV, right? Like I know that there's, no, you know, there's nothing that I, I have no power in this situation. I am at the mercy of that clerk behind the counter. They're going to make me do uh, all this paperwork in order to be able to drive. You know, maybe, uh, maybe we should do that with, any, with, with, with machines that could possibly kill people. Maybe we could have like just a little bit more regulation around that so that, uh, I don't know, less people die. I don't think it would solve everything, but like I just think me, Josh, I'm not speaking from the pulpit right now. I'm just saying like maybe, maybe that'd be okay. Maybe that would be good. Maybe that would work. And I think that there's definitely in our culture an unhealthy obsession with this idea that having lots of guns is going to protect us or fix anything. I think there are many countries in our world that don't have this endless litany of unnecessary gun death. And we could be like those countries. We could make a few changes, and everybody would still be able to have their guns, and it would be okay. I think another thing to keep in mind here is that Paul is fighting the good fight from jail. Paul isn't waiting for the systems of the governments that he is at odds with as a kingdom subject. Before he's a Roman citizen, Paul is a kingdom subject. He, he is fighting the good fight from jail. And so you might remember when Paul is writing to his, his spiritual son, Timothy, his protege, and the, the person that he discipled for many years. He says, look, I've kept the faith. I'm getting to the end of my race. I know they're going to kill me. He says, but I've kept the faith. I fought the good fight. And Paul writes in this letter, he says, I am an ambassador in chains. Here's the good news, guys. Here's the good news. Even if the policies that we think, even if the policies that I, as a pastor and not a politician, even if I, as a, a pastor and not a, a, a policymaker or a, or a studier of, of, uh, of those kinds of things, like even in my very limited expertise as just a citizen of the United States, if what I want to happen in the legal world doesn't happen, uh, guess what? I still have a fight to fight. And 
my ability to engage in that fight and my ability to engage the people that I actually have influence with, the neighbors that God has actually put in my life, the people that God has actually called me to minister and touch, to the, 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 the people that God has put in my life, given me a ticket into their life so that I can have influence with my family, with my close friends, people I go to church with, the neighbors that I live next to, the people that I work with, that I can still fight the good fight even if the system doesn't change, even if the laws of our nation never change. There's a fight that I can fight that leads to peace, that leads to a reorientation of desires and identity at such a level that it actually is the answer that every person needs. And so if you find yourself powerless, if you find yourself stuck, if you find yourself in a system where you feel completely helpless, where you feel like there's nothing that you can do to affect the situation, where you feel like you're just at the mercy of the powerful, two things. One, you might be grasping reality better than the illusion of having some kind of control or influence where you don't have it. You might actually be grasping your real reality. And two, take hope because God is at work in you. And God can do things in your life and through you, through the influence that you're able to have. Paul wrecked the world. He's had an impact on centuries of history, on countless numbers of cultures, and he did that in jail. If we pay attention to what God has for us to do and for the work of the kingdom, we, God can do things that we would never imagine. But we have to fight smarter and we have to pay attention to what God wants us to be focused on rather than tribalism, rather than grabbing at cultural power, rather than the rat race that is our democracy. And so... How do we do this? Well, Paul tells us. Paul tells us in this passage. He tells us to suit up. He tells us to put on the armor of God. He tells us to put on truth, to wrap the belt of truth around our waist. You know, just knowing things that are true, uh, man, that's a lot of work, right? Especially today, like we live in a very post-truth kind of situation right now. It's insane. Like it's really insane, you know. And and truth is way up for grabs culturally. You know, and, and the internet exists, and you are a Google search away from whatever your itching ears want to hear. You want to find somebody to agree with your point of view, you can find it. There's enough people that will, find, that will gravitate or orient around something that you think is important or interesting, and you can, you can really easily find what your itching ears want to hear on the internet. That, is, that has never been more true than it is right now. But here's the thing, guys. The Bible hasn't changed, and it won't. And God has revealed himself clearly in history and in the context of a spirit-filled community, we can see what's really real because God has told us and made it plain so that men are without excuse. God has revealed himself finally and authoritatively 
in the person of Jesus. And we read about that in the Bible. And so we can put on the belt of truth. Righteousness, you know, uh, just having your heart protected with the breastplate of righteousness, knowing that you're at least making a good effort. You're making a, a, a whole faith effort to be a righteous person and letting Jesus give you his righteousness before God, man, that'll do so much to protect us. You know, we got to remember that God's gospel is peace and be ready to go and do anything that God would tell us because he's in charge and he is bringing peace. God is waging peace in the world through this relationship with Jesus that is available to centurions and to those that the centurions oppress. God's peace is available and open to all people if we invite his lordship. And we should always be eager and always be ready to do whatever God wants us to do in order to share the gospel. You know, having uh, you know, those cheesy little business cards back there and just being ready to invite somebody to church. Man, that could be the introduction that leads to somebody coming to Christ. That could be the introduction into a, a real friendship that could alter the direction of somebody's trajectory and could make all the difference. Taking up the shield of faith and being protected when lies from the enemy, when lies from Satan, which, let's just go back to truth here, okay? Lies are how the devil does most of his work, right? That was true in the garden. We see that at work in the early church. We see that at work throughout Israel's history. When people believe things that aren't true and when people fail to live in God's reality, that's where things fall apart. That's where it starts. That's where irreconcilable differences happen because people can't live in the same reality. They can't agree on what's true. And so when we, when we trust God, we get protected from those lies. When we trust Jesus, instead of our own understanding, instead of trying to redefine good and evil with what we think is best, when we take up the shield of faith and when we embrace God's leadership in our life, we're protected. And then our thinking is made right when we are able to remember our salvation, to remember that this isn't all up to us, that we're going to make some mistakes, we're going to say the wrong things sometimes. Maybe we say that in front of other people, or maybe it's public in a way that we find embarrassing. But God's salvation doesn't depend on our action. It depends on what he has done on our behalf, being protected that way. You know, all of those things are the armor, right? So right now, if we just kind of go down, just looking at this list, that's a five-to-one defensive to offensive uh, situation there in the list of things, right? Those first, that's all the armor, right? So I said this sermon was about the weapons. Guess what? Even the weapons... Uh, is really, really, you know, about protection, right, in this war. The Word of God, Jesus himself. The book of Revelation says that his mouth is a sword. When he speaks to us, it cuts to the heart, and it changes us. And when we embrace these things, we find peace, we find hope, we find salvation. 
here in a second. I'm going to... I'm going to try something a little different today. We're going we're gonna to invite, here in a second, I'm going to invite everybody to stand up. I want to give the altar call while you guys are sitting because I think sometimes people sit down because they get tired of me going on about what I think God wants to do in prayer time. And I want you to be standing so that it will be easier to take a step forward so that if you need prayer, you can come and get prayer, okay? So there are three things I, I think that God might want to do this morning. One, uh, some of us are kind of harboring some anger uh, either at some distant political figure or maybe a, a conversation that we had on social media or maybe it's a little more personal, maybe it's a little closer, but there, there's, there's some judgment and there's some anger and we're, we're kind of trying to punish somebody in our heart. We're kind of trying to hold somebody and say, I'm going to make you pay in here. And guess what? The good news for you and the, the thing I think God wants you to help, help relax into is that, that that job of a judge, that, that job is taken. That's God's job. And so maybe for some of us this morning, the invitation from God is to release that person into God's judgment or to release that institution or to release that situation into God's judgment so that we can be free from that anger and that hatred. Maybe some of us this morning are a little convicted that we've been finding a little bit too much of ourselves in our political identity, that our identity as Americans or identity as Republicans or liberal or, 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 or conservative or progressive or whatever, Democrats, Republicans, whatever, all that garbage, maybe we kind of are getting tricked into that and feeling like that is a little bit more definitive of who we are than Jesus being definitive of who we are. There's an invitation to just confess that this morning and to be free of that, that God would like to break that stronghold in your life this morning. And then also, uh, maybe there are some of us who have struggled or strayed from trusting in God's word. We've kind of we've gotten out of the habit of looking to the scriptures. We've sort of like, this is something that we know, we know we should do it, we mean to do it, and it just isn't happening. And... I think there's an invitation from God to just start again, to just, be a, to, just be, to just say that out loud in the presence of someone who's not going to judge you, to say that in the presence of God and to receive help and renewed passion for reading God's word and for embracing biblical truth again. And so we're going to pray for each other for some of those things and maybe some other things. Would you stand? This is the time when we welcome the Holy Spirit and April is going to so capably and wonderfully lead us into God's presence. If you want prayer for any of those things that I mentioned, I just invite you to come stand, come stand in the front here. Somebody who's been trained will come and put their hand on your shoulder and ask how they can pray for you. Also, if you are sensitive to the Holy Spirit and you've been through the prayer training and you see something happening, uh, feel free to go and tap somebody on the shoulder and just say, hey, can I pray for you? Consent matters. If they say no, you say, okay, my bad, my bad no problem. All right, uh, but follow the Holy Spirit and let's pray and see what God wants to do this morning because this is where the battle happens right now. It's in prayer. This is where spiritual strongholds are demolished and where the kingdom of God advances in our hearts. So if you've got business to do with God, let's do it. Mm-hmm.